I wouldn't have been able to have that uh, chance or that opportunity to know a person like that unless I was, you know, in a school like Escuela Internacional San Pedrano. And that's very, very, very important because, you know, day by day in the U.S., I'm not going to create a connection like that or a friendship like that at the supermarket or, you know, at a, at a convention or at a, or a networking event. Like, that's not really how those, you know, I guess, genuine, authentic um, connections you know, come out of or arise, which for international students, when they go to college, I think that's an important thing they need that they need to do and seek. Uh, it, it's, you know. Uh, welcome to episode 76 of Tokyo Alumni Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, our second international school graduate outside of Tokyo. Uh, he is an American national born and raised in San Pedro Sula, Honduras. During his time in Honduras, he attended the Ceron Bilingual School, Escuela Internacional La Lima, and eventually graduated from Escuela Internacional San Pedrana in 2015. He earned a bachelor's degree in business administration from Northeastern University. During his time at Northeastern, he was involved with the Idea Venture Studio on campus and did co-ops in accounting and asset management. During his senior year at Northeastern, he was part of the founding of Disrupt, the fintech initiative at Northeastern, aimed at building a community on campus at the intersection of finance and technology. He now works as an associate at the early stage banking team at Silicon Valley in San Francisco, learning and building relationships with young startups, founders, and investors from the Bay Area. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you, Nick. It's very nice to uh, talk to you on this uh, new year. But um, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, it's very nice to chat with an old friend, an old teacher. Uh, and in terms of you know, your audience in Tokyo, uh, very nice to meet all of you. Uh, I have not spent much time in Asia, but I've heard great things uh, from friends and family. Uh, but also, I'd love to hear from Nick exactly how good like your experience has been there. Yeah, it's it's great to connect with you uh, in this modality. I think the last time we spoke was probably well, we speak online sometimes, but in this sort of context, um, audio-wise, uh, it's been a while, and um, it's great to hear uh, off air. We spoke a bit how you're currently in Florida, uh, but earlier before that, you were in California, as I mentioned in the bio. Uh, you work in San Francisco. Chris Harris is usually not the name people think of when they think about someone from Honduras. I'm sure you get that a lot. Yeah, yeah, I get that all the time, especially if I'm speaking Spanish to people. They just don't expect, you know, my proficiency in Spanish. I think that it's a great advantage to be able to speak multiple languages. Um, I mean, it, it tells a interesting aspect about yourself to other people without communicating your background without communicating where you're from. It just says that, hey, you know, this is a person um, that can communicate multiple languages. And I think that for most people, that's a very interesting, interesting element. And a lot of our guests have been third culture children. And, you know, you obviously have spent more of your life in Honduras than in the United States. Do you identify stronger with Honduran culture than American culture? You know, that's the thing that I guess... Um, I think about all the time um, and it kind of swings, right? It's more on, you know, where exactly I'm located and how I'm interacting with the real world. Uh, if it's with family, you know, I, I most definitely resonate more with um, Honduran culture, whether it's through food, whether it's through, you know, old stories and 
um, memories and such. But if it's you know more in a social aspect or if it's more in real world current terms, I you know resonate more with American culture because that is where I live. That is where you know I work, um, and you just have to keep up with the world around you, right? And especially living in the U.S. Now I'm turning seven years this year. The world in the U.S. changes drastically, you know, quicker, more than any other place in the world, in my opinion. You know, from one year to the next, there could be a, a massive shift, um, whether it's culturally, socially, politically. At, uh, in other places, you just don't see as aggressively. And, you know, looking back in the last seven years and all the stuff that, that's happened, especially with the pandemic and other issues as well, um, I think that... Um, from a more real world standpoint, I do resonate more with American culture. Um, but in terms of my past, I think of myself more as a ethnically um, Latin person. So I try to explain it in, I'm a American, American citizen born and raised abroad. And mm -hmm. that I guess opens up the conversation with other people as to where exactly those, I guess, lines fall. That's really interesting how you mentioned this concept of code switching, which I think is quite familiar with TCKs and, you know, people who are biracial, bicultural, do you feel like it's easier to, you know, sort of engage in that code switching culturally, being that you're in a rather heterogeneous part of the United States, uh, you know, which is San Francisco? You know, that's a good question. I think it's kind of challenging because with people, it's more of like birds of a feather flock together. So if you're speaking Spanish and that's the medium of communication, most of the people around you are going to be speaking Spanish and they're going to have the same type of background as you. But if you're speaking primarily English, most of the people will not be speaking Spanish, right? So there's that, I guess, big difference of um, all the things that come with that language barrier. Uh, and I constantly see myself um, either challenging myself to be more involved with either side because it, I guess, lets me access different parts of myself, but also, um, you know, it kind of helps me set the tone for anything that I'm thinking of or focusing on or challenging myself for, whether it's at work, whether it's just socially, uh, or even if it could be in this manner, like, you know, we're doing now, which I think that I'm not trying to be a little bit of, of a generalist, but in English, there's more of this free thought of speech, right? Where you can engage in conversation with people of any medium. In Spanish, that's more limited to, I'll, I'll only do that with close people that I know, right? That I can have that level of trust. And that's kind of just one insight um, of being part of you know, two different cultures. And I bet you probably experienced something very similar, right? Being with an experience in America and in, in an experience in Asia in terms of uh, the different underlying themes of each culture there. Yeah, I 100% agree, uh, especially I'm happy you mentioned the point of language, because I think that's a reoccurring theme. And, you know, especially Japanese is very different from English. And I think it does eventually actually affect people's personality. Um, you know, there's sort of that stereotype of uh, Japanese woman voices kind of being higher. And I've had actually a lot of my friends who are half, you know, white, half Japanese, half American, half Japanese. They've told me even their voices change. You know, when they're speaking Japanese, their voices yeah. get higher and kind of in a bit more cute, you know, sounding voice. And then maybe when they're speaking English, it gets, you know, one notch lower and assertive. And obviously that then affects your personality in a way. So, yeah, I, th I think that idea that um, language is important. And 
I guess I naively very much kind of assumed because Spanish and English are so similar that maybe there was less of a difference, but it sounds like uh, the difference is quite, quite grand. Yeah, the difference is, uh, it's pretty stark. And especially like if you think about it in a professional setting, right? Um, I feel like when you share English as a common language with people, people have that precognition bias of professionalism because, you know, English being, I guess, the most um, used language in the world in terms of business or academics. But then in Spanish, if you meet people in a professional setting with Spanish, it's more of like, okay, professionalism comes down one level. Let's interact in more of a, of a personal level. Let's, you know, share, you know, information about ourselves. And I've had that happen with multiple coworkers where, you know, we're all working remote. We don't meet each other in person, but when I did come across them in person over coffee or lunch, and I use my Spanish with them, it would just switch like that. You know, it, it would be, it would be, uh, we'd be discussing our, you know, personal beliefs. We'd be, we'd be discussing our past. We'd be discussing who we are as people. Um, but that's just, you know, my experience, right? But then I also think that location has something to do with that in terms of where you are. Uh, if you look at, I mean, from my experience, West Coast versus East Coast, I lived in Boston for five years and I've been living in the East, in the West Coast for now two years. That's also pretty drastic, um, I guess, change from one spectrum to the other as to how you share your own, um, I guess, the, what, what is yourself to other people um, over conversation. Because in the East Coast, it's not the same as it is in the West Coast. In the East Coast, people, I guess, have more of a tendency of, as they say, sizing you up, you know, who you are in terms of like what demonstrates who you are versus I think in the West Coast, it's more about I want to know who you are by you telling me who you are. I want to learn about your background, your experiences, where you come from. Uh, and I guess that's you know something that's very true with California as a whole, right? Because California is just one large melting pot um, yeah. for the u.s and the east coast it's a lot more you know smaller groups of people in different backgrounds so when it comes to you know international school graduates in honduras and maybe to a certain degree central america because i know there's a lot of similarity with the schools there in guatemala Nic nicaragua is for those students who do make it to you know who do choose to attend university in the states is there that conversation uh, in regards to which states? Because just, just to give a quick background being, you know, in, in the Asia part of things now for eight years in Korea, as well as a year in Japan, is, um, you know, students like California. They like Boston. Of course, they go to other parts of the you know, states. But for, for Asian nationals or people, you know, coming from Asian cultures, it's incredibly smooth or it's, it's a smoother transition uh, let's say to go to san francisco uh, in comparison to going to north dakota of course there's more schools in san francisco too but in that yeah, sense yeah. uh for hondurans and central americans are there certain states where you know hondurans tend to con congregate more or or is there really no patterns like that i think there are um and very similar to what you said right the transition for asian students to california is a lot easier and i i know a bunch of people who are either second generation chinese or, or, or second generation uh, korean that are from the bay area and you know they have been living in the bay area their entire lives and then i kind of peek into their world in terms of like what's asian culture like in california and a lot of them say 
you know, coming to California from Asia is just an easy transition. There's such a large community and a rich background, a rich heritage, a rich sense of heritage and belonging. And I think that that determines why people go to study in California from Asia so easily, whether it's SoCal, NorCal. Then I think in Central America, they uh, tend to go to a few destinations that are popular and California isn't one of them. California is not, you know, uh, a destination where uh, a large group of graduates from Central America are confident or I guess just even thinking or considering about simply because, you know, people don't necessarily go there from Central America for school. People go there uh, for more holiday or more of a, uh, you know, vacation type of experience. But in the East Coast for school, because there's such a large international element of um, either if it's acceptance or just composition of students, of applicants, people feel more comfortable in applying and going to those schools. And like I said, in terms of heritage, you know, you look at all these students who their parents, their older cousins, their older siblings went to those locations, right? Whether it's Boston, New York, uh, Philadelphia, uh, or even just smaller locations like either Charlotte, uh, or Houston in the South as well. You know, it's very popular to go to like Texas, um, Florida, Georgia, um, and then, you know, maybe go up into the DC area, the tri-state area and up into New England. And then you have some people who may go to Chicago. Chicago is also very popular. Um, but, you know, from my experience, Boston was just, you know, a, a massive community of people, not only from Central America, but also South America. So going back to Honduras, you know, you mentioned people's perspective of Honduras. And one question I wanted to ask you was, uh, what is the most common misconception people have about Honduras? Great question. Um, The greatest misconception about Honduras, being very similar to any like underdeveloped country, which is because it's undeveloped, there's no like since since it's underdeveloped there's no sense of community there's no sense of culture there's no sense of you know life right you think that there's all these terrible things going on there but you know in Honduras there's great things going on right um and you know at least from my perspective when I meet people from other places that is not you know Honduras for example it's a place that I'm um, that I'm familiar with, like, for example, Brazil, you know, whenever I come across a person from Brazil, I want to learn as much as I can from Brazil, from what they can share with me, because you hear all these misconceptions about how terrible, you know, terrible of a, of a place Brazil is because the high level of corruption and the, and the extreme level of, of malpractice that happens, right? And I guess that's just one example. It's similar to Honduras, where everybody says, look at the large levels of corruption, you know, it's a it's a it's a mess down there uh, or whatever the you know i guess generalization would be but you know i think that for misconceptions the number one would be corruption which it may be with some level of truth um but i also think that it's more about there's no real sense of life there uh people only take the the negatives and don't necessarily consider the positives um and especially with the with the U.S. culture and how people view things here, they like to focus a lot on the negatives, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can see it even 
within our own uh, you know, borders, people fight with each other all the time, even if it's you know between from one state to the other and want to emphasize on how terrible it is in California and how terrible it is in such state and how terrible it is in, you know, in, in another state, but it's usually not as bad as people think. So I think that that's the, the misconception. It's not as bad as people think. So you attended not one, but three different international schools in Honduras. What took your parents to Honduras? And what, how did your experiences compare you know, at these three schools, uh, which were the Seron Bilingual School, uh, La Lima mm-hmm. campus, mm-hmm. and the San Pedrana campus? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty crazy tale, I guess. Um, so my dad arrived in Honduras, I think, in the early 90s. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't as bad as people thought, right? It was a great place, had a lot of opportunity. It was safe. There was some level of excitement between um, between the population. And then he started actually working at EIS as a teacher for, I think it was six months he worked there. Um, and then, you know, fast forward 20 years later, he's got a family, he's got kids. We're all, you know, born and raised in Honduras, but because of the previous law of um, having uh, kids abroad outside of the U.S., if you were an American citizen, you would get automatic citizenship if you were to be raised you know, in the U.S. when you were a kid, right? I think Obama changed that uh, in, in his presidency. But coming back, so in in, in Honduras, um, yeah, so my dad, he was a, a teacher at EIS for a few years. And then when he started enrolling us into schools, he uh, looked at Seran, which was the, 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 you know, I guess second largest school in San Pedro Sula, if you were to you know, put it that way in terms of size. And Sedan was run by a American administration um, from the top level, right? So the school's president or chairman or whatever you want to call it. Can't remember her name, but she was an American and she hired and she recruited a bunch of American and Canadian teachers. Um, and I was there till about the second grade, I think. Um, great experiences there. Uh, learned a lot and the school was a lot smaller than EIS. I think that the class size was only about like less than 30 people. Um, and then after that, I went to Escuela Internacional de Lima, which is the second campus, right? Outside of San Pedro Sula. And I can't really, I don't really know why we went to La Lima f- instead of uh, San Pedro. I think it may have been a, an issue with occupancy, but I think also my parents believed in La Lima a little more than they did with San Pedro because we had, uh, you know, family and friends that had been to La Lima that had you know, graduated from La Lima and their experience and their results were, you know, um, I guess at a, at a higher scale than um, EIS. And then, then I went over to San Pedro and San Pedro was, I guess, my experience or my way of experiencing going into a larger high school, similar to what happens in the U.S., right? You graduate middle school and then you go into that large high school, large public school that has, you know, either 300 students in the class, 500 students in the class, or up to maybe a thousand students in the class. Mm -hmm. Uh, At first, it was definitely very intimidating to be in a high school of 450 people. You know, the school I was in for five years prior was only 100 people the entire school. You knew every single student. 
But then, you know, going into into San Pedro, I mean, I thought that there were great opportunities there. There were great people there. I I, I uh, met a lot of great students there and a lot of smart people and a lot of people who wanted to improve themselves as well, just as much as 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 La Lima, if not more. Um, and there are also the right resources at San Pedro, you know, particularly just with the clubs that were offered there. I think that, you know, that, that was probably the best program in all of San Pedro Sula in terms of, of opportunities for students to improve themselves outside of the classroom. Um, mm. And I think that every international student or every international school develops their students with that uh, type of curriculum in mind. And I, I have met many international students from other schools that share that same common theme. Oh, mm. I did Asia or, oh, I was, um, you know, a sports leader and went to multiple countries or, oh, you know, I was an MUN or, oh, I was in knowledge pool. And I, you know, excelled outside of the classroom there as well as, as I did in the classroom. And then they went on to, you know, uh, build great either um, academic experiences and academic credentials or go into the professional world straight out of um, or in between school and just try to push themselves. But I think that that was, I guess, my overall experience between Sedan, La Lima and San Pedro and still try to keep in touch with a few people here and there. It's easier said than done. Obviously, you would know you're in the other side of the world and must be very difficult to keep in touch with people. But, you know, with, with the people that you can and you try to, it's it's always fun to catch up with each other yeah i agree that the way extracurriculars are set up at international schools have always amused me um and to be quite honest um so you were part of you know a very integral part of mun which is a very much academic group and i remember when people told me you played sports i just kind of assumed maybe you did a little bit of badminton you know or some something very non-contact and then, yeah. I, and then I know, no, he's like, you know, he's like, I think you were captain or something. And I was like, my kids can do both, you know, like, cause even at my high school, looking back, there were students like that. There were students who were, you know, the right. lead of theater in, in the spring or the musical in the spring, but they were also American football, like quarterback in the fall. You, you want to know why I think that that happens? It's because there's a, there's a shortage of students. There's a shortage mm. of students and it requires students to say, screw it. I'll do it. I'll try it out. You know, whatever comes out of it, we'll like, we'll see what happens. And yeah, like you say, right. When would you hear that an NHS student is also in the volleyball, the basketball team and in the, in the Asia program. And they go to, you know, a great university simply because they have all these um, components of their academic experience in high school. And I think that that most definitely will result in higher test scores, will definitely result in better um, you know, conversational skills with people. Mm. You'll understand people a lot uh, better than most people. You'll like you won't have that shell to you. Right. Because you've put yourself in so many different um, challenges and you've been able to do well in not all of them, but a few of them. And that that's enough. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like. Um... I'll just give you my opinion first. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And you were saying something earlier about how just having these like trouble solving skills that, you know, maybe an American counterpart might not get from even, you know, robust American private education. 
And I, I have seen some, my, my friends who did go to, you know, Northeastern schools, like, uh, you know, the, uh, was Andover, uh, Exeter. Yeah. Those are LA <laughs> yeah. schools, but generally it, it, they almost kind of cheat a little bit because it's like things that are not quite soccer or basketball. Uh, you know, right. they'll be, they'll be doing stuff like fencing, you know, right. <laughs> like rowing yeah. and those are intense, but it's not the same as being, you know, in a soccer game, you know, and uh, because it's just, yeah. it, they don't do those sports because they can't compete in those sports with well, other American schools. When you, you know, settle down somewhere, wherever that somewhere is, do you envision sending your own children to international schools? No, that's a that's a great it's a great question. I don't know how it's going to play out. Who knows? If I can, that'd be great. I think that's a great it's a great experience. Um, but it's also it could be a very you know, difficult experience because not every international school is the same, um, and there's different things that you also have to consider uh, when you know being abroad. Um, now, if it could be like some form of like an international boarding experience, I think that could be cool. Mm. But just the different amount of um, challenges of being abroad versus being in the US, uh, that I think that for me right now, I haven't thought uh, that far out in terms of like how to do it. But when I want to, yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's fantastic. And I see it just as an example with my roommate. He went to the international school in Bangladesh and uh, he was an American citizen out of Bangladesh. And all the kids that he met there uh, were same type of background. You know, they spoke two, three different languages. Parents were uh, of a multiracial marriage, um, whether it's, you know, expat from the U.S., politician from the U.S., business person from the U.S. Um, and I ask him the same question all the time. And he looks at me and he says, what do you think? Obviously, I want that international experience. I mean, I can't really, you know, sit across the table with a person that's only been, you know, to Connecticut, New Jersey and Delaware and say that we're the same person, right? Because mm -hmm. I've been able to travel. I've been able to experience different religions. I've, I know what it's like to be, you know, in a Muslim speaking country. I know what it's like to be in a Spanish speaking country. I know what it's like to be in an English speaking country. You know, those experiences you can't really get out of the textbook right and i think that you're probably a great a great example of that too right because you're now because you lived in japan in high school now you're in korea and you, you live in, in the u.s and that is probably true for you as well yeah I, I i think off air you know we talked a bit about competitive edge right competitive advantage and yeah i would, I would totally concur that you know it's sort of the caution that you know it, it, it i think one could be monocultural and still you know be have certain yeah, you know whatever but there is definitely that element of that bicultural multicultural element which i think you know to the credit of a lot of u.s schools especially california i think they try to replicate that but i think my problem with it is that it's not authentic and again, it's not to the fault, you know, if you're in Northern California, I don't know, let's say you're an hour North in Napa or something. And, you know, you have a fairly heterogeneous population there. You can have like a world cultural day and you can bring in Mexican food and Japanese food and Korean food. Right. But it's like that real authentic experience um, right. is, is something that you have to, you know, go through 
uh, and, and again, it looks different from international school to international school, but yeah, no, I, you know, totally agree with you. Um, I was able to catch up with, you know, one of, uh, one of, I think he was your student, but he was also an MUN and I actually, you know, caught up with him in Northern California and, you know, it was so nice to see an old friend and obviously so nice to see that across time, you know, we we're still the same person, but we we'd still had lived different experiences and, you know, our perceptions of the world were unique to our own experiences. But like you say, you know, I wouldn't have been able to have that uh, chance or that opportunity to know a person like that unless I was, you know, in a school like Escuela Internacional San Pedrano. And that's very, very, very important because, you know, day by day in the U.S., I'm not going to create a connection like that or a friendship like that at the supermarket or, you know, at a, at a convention or at a, or a networking event. Like, that's not really how those, you know, I guess, genuine, authentic um, connections come out of or arise which for international students when they go to college i think that's an important thing they need that they need to do and seek uh it's finding people from different cultures and just sticking to them and being loyal to them whether you only talk a few times a semester a few times a year or you have every single meal together and like in my experience at my school there's a large amount of indian students i had never really you know met anyone from india right you know being in honduras right you, you don't see indian people there and i had never had indian cuisine and i never really understood um it, like different like the large cultural i guess melting pot that india really is and i met a lot of people there and at school and a lot of people from there and my senior year i ended up working at an indian restaurant as a part-time you know, gig and had a lot of fun and I like had a lot of fun doing that. You know, now I go to an Indian restaurant and I know exactly what to pick out of the menu and, you know, Indian food is a, is a great comfort food. Right. Um, but I think that w- what's most important is that like now I have friends and people that, you know, if um, whether I'm on this side of the world or the other side of the world, I can, you know, across time catch up with them for a day or two and, you know, still, relive those past past experiences but also learn from their past experiences what what it's been like for them right you know and i have friends from india who now are based out of dubai right i have friends from india who are based in nepal or in mumbai or in japan and you know i'd like to at one point or the other have a conversation with them call them up or meet up with them and see what their experience is like um and you don't really get that unless you go out there and try to meet people yeah, I think that's a great point that even if you don't go to international school, that opportunity exists at the collegiate level. And, and it's, you know, up to the individual to really, you know, grasp that opportunity and, and create a network, which hopefully, you know, once this COVID business, if not disappears, at least, you know, becomes less. So you can, right. in fact, travel around to, you know, Dubai and Japan right. and actually link up with them, you know, in real you know, first person. You know, I think it's it's important also to recognize, right, that most people would say like, oh, like I want this connection so that one day later in my life I might get some type of business interest out of it, right? And I feel like that's that's never the case. You'll never really hear from a person who'll say, hey, I met this person years ago, and you know, because we were friends back then, we were able to mutually benefit out of business. I don't think that that's how it works. And people really believe that that's kind of how it works. I think it's more of like, 
okay, both of you met at a certain stage in your lives where you guys trusted each other to share, whether it's a school project or if it's you know, a sports tournament or if it's whatever type of moment, right? And then years later, you still have that sense of camaraderie and loyalty that those, pers- that those people will trust you enough, right? You know, as we wind down this interview, um, at the end, I like to ask the guests what is coming up in their lives, you know, this coming years, decades. Right. I think since this is, uh, you know, recorded first week of January of 2022, I like to focus on 2022. So, you know, what's to come in the next 360 days? I think that for me, what's to come or what I'm going to be focusing on this year uh, is just trying to prove things to myself. Um, that have nothing to do with the, you know, exterior world, whether it's, um, you know, building or breaking a habit or whether it's a certain accomplishment, if it's physical or if it's uh, more personal. Um, But I think that for me, one of the things that I'm going to be working on this year uh, is just dedicating more time to myself. I think that One of the things that I want to do more of is not necessarily spend alone time. That's not what I'm saying. I want to do things more for myself that will improve um, how I, you know, have relationships with other people. I think that one of the ways that I can do that is um, by physical activity. You know, I, like you said, I used to do a lot of sports in high school. Uh, I, you know, used to work out in college, but one of the things that I've never really considered or thought of is running a marathon and you know a marathon is a great challenge to prove to yourself that hey you know you can run for four hours that's not that's not an average thing um and i was talking about this with a few other friends like you know what are you thinking about for this year and i think that if you put yourself with a goal that's physical in nature whether it's climbing a mountain whether it's going on hikes whether it's waking up in the morning whether it's cold showers, I don't know, something as trivial as that. If you do it con- you know, consistently, I think that, you know, with four or five, six months time, you'll come out the other side uh, stronger, better. You'll, you know, have better relationships with people around you. You'll be more grateful. Even something as simple as reading, which I've also been doing um, a few uh, here and there, just different topics, um, just for my own curiosity, you know? Uh, and if you need any recommendations, I can definitely throw some your way. I think that a yeah. great book that I read or two great books that I read last year that I think you'd probably like are The Lost City of the Monkey God, um, which I don't remember the author, but The Lost City of Monkey God is where they find, um, they used to call it, I think it was called The White City. They mm. found it in uh, Honduras, in the large jungle in the eastern oh. side of Honduras after you left i think it was in 2016 or 2017 yeah they made this unbelievable discovery using lidar technology that's one the lost city of the monkey god great book and then the second one um the fish that ate the whale funny enough Mm -hmm. both of these books are honduras uh related but the fish that ate the whale is about the uh creation of the standard food company by a russian jewish immigrant uh, mm-hmm. in Honduras. And with this very powerful company, he was able to overthrow the government, he was able to set his dominance and control. And funny enough, he is the largest donor at Tulane University. So yeah. a very, very fun uh, tale of uh, 
of just you know the past and how it affects the future but those are two great books i would say yeah i i like the idea that you said that you know it's if it's a concrete physical thing you can't really weasel your way around it right so as you said with the marathon i mean now it's on record so you have to by december 31st sign I up know. for something and do it now eh? <laughs> yeah yeah i i mean i think that it's it's most definitely a lot of fun it's challenging as hell but like you know at least i can you know rub it in my friends faces and say all right man if you think you can uh you can keep up go run a marathon and tell me how it goes so i'm you know holding you to it nick if you want to if you want to do it sometime <laughs> i i'll maybe start with a half marathon but uh i believe the full is a 41 point one nine five i think i have a vague memory that yeah one nine five but um yeah it's it's been exciting uh it's been nice to catch up with you i you're right now in florida eventually in california uh i'm in south korea who knows eventually uh we'll probably meet up again one day um we have not met up yet since i left uh, honduras in 2014 2014 spring so um you know, hopefully, wow. uh, our past. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, thanks. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hopefully one day or the other catch up in person. That would, that would mean, that would mean a lot. Uh, but you know, like I said, you know, if you're ever in California or, uh, back in the U S just keep me posted. You, you never know where I may be. <laughs> yeah.